Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. There we go. Uh, it was a uh, need an extra cup of coffee kind of morning for me. That's why I was uh, running late, but apparently I wasn't running late because it was yeah. Man, here we go. No, we're good. We're we're great. Um, anybody anybody paying attention to NCAA tournament the last uh, last few weeks? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm from Spokane, uh, and I don't want to talk about Gonzaga at all uh, <coughs> right now. I. I had an ice cream sandwich last night uh, because that was better than feeling my feelings. <laughs> I uh, I thought that would be a better a better way of dealing with uh, the issue. Uh, yeah, let's. Uh, uh, it's fine. I'm moving on, and I don't want to take any questions about that at this time. Uh, it's a uh, it's good to be uh, back here this morning, back into the letter to the Ephesians. Um, I'm a little tired this morning. Anybody else tired this morning? Any feeling it? Yeah. I mean, who hooked us up with the Dutch Bros? Marcus, was that you? Was that? No? Somebody, somebody brought us the Dutch Bros. Kristen. Kristen, of course. Kristen, thank you for organizing family service as well. This is awesome. I, uh, I, I mentioned it last time we did it. I, I'm going to say it again. I love this so much. Uh, this is a practical statement of what... Uh, we believe the church to be, uh, not just uh, stratified adults over there and kids over there, which our passage today is going to show us uh, the gospel levels the playing field. And uh, that is a good, this is a good way for us to be practically reminded, tangibly reminded of that beautiful, uh, beautiful reality. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit a little bit tired as we go into this morning. I'm getting energy just from all of you being in here. This is this is fun. But I, I feel like just the act of waking up and looking at the weather and going <clears throat> again is just kind of the the collective like six months of that now is just kind of like ah okay. Uh, th- this is technically Bushnell's uh, and in U of O's spring break, or at the end as we like to call it here in Oregon at the end of March. Winter break. Uh, <clears throat> not cool. Not cool. But cold, uh, as, it would, as we would have it. Um, we're here together. We're, we're caffeinated, uh, mostly. And uh, even better, we have the Holy Spirit here to guide us as we, uh, as we read through Scripture. So how about this? How about we pray? How about we pray, and then we'll go, all right? Uh, Lord, it's... Uh, Man, it is a privilege uh, to be here and together and to gather around tables with goodies and coffee and um, crafts and your word and each other. Um, 
we receive all those things as gifts. And so this morning, as we come to the text, which is going to push us in areas that we might not like, uh, may you give us a posture of humility. Uh, give us ears that can hear that which we might not want to. Uh, give us hearts that are soft in uh, places that have been uh, unreceptive. Um, Holy Spirit, just be here and doing your thing as we sit under your word together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, into the household codes we go. Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 6, verse 9. I've made mention a number of times over the course of this series um, how, how it can be helpful to take a larger portion of scripture together. Uh, and nowhere is that more true than in this text that we are going to look at today. Uh, a text that is um, chock full of little one-liners that, if taken out of context, could cause us some harm and have caused harm. And we need to be aware of that and cognizant of that and, um, and talk about that out loud together. Uh, that is an important and faithful part of interpreting this, this passage in 2023. Um, but this passage wasn't written to folks in 2023, and we need to be faithful interpreters and, and pay attention to the culture at the time. How was Paul talking to the folks in his day and then extrapolate from that? What are some of the core principles here? So what we're going to do, we're going to start by just reading through the text altogether. We're going to, uh, I want to feel the weight of these sort of like three movements within what's called the household codes. Household codes were not something that were unique to scripture. These were around long before New Testament times. This was uh, germane to philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and Plutarch of that time. This is how... Um, this is how folks talked about the family unit, the household unit, the basic economic unit of, um, of society. So let's, let's dive in. Five, starting in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is actually, sorry to go Greek grammar on you right away, but this is a participle, not and imperative. This is uh, submitting to one another. It's picking up the command force from the previous verses, but the, the verse on its own kind of says like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's our, there's our baseline. How then do we do that? How do we submit to one another? Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. That one is a command. <laughs> Paul's like, if I got to, if I got to get the guy's attention in the room, we got to, we got to switch, we got to switch verbiage. We got to, we need a shift in grammar here. Husbands, love 
your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, or as one version says, do not annoy your children. <laughs> one might be easier than the other. Um, Instead, bring them... Notice it doesn't say moms don't annoy <laughs> your children. It's, it singles out dads. <laughs> like, we know dads' propensities towards these things. Like, we, we assume that the mothers in the room are going to be just fine. Uh, <laughs> fathers, let's single you out for a moment. Don't annoy your kids. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both master, who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This section, the household codes, it stands as the middle panel in sort of this three panel argument that Paul is making, a, a, a pleading, really, with the Ephesian church to not be like society around them. Remember, in the previous section, we looked at Paul saying, don't, you Gentiles, don't go back to your Gentile ways. Don't go back to those death ways, those things that got you separated from Christ, those things that lead to unhealth, that lead to pain. Don't go back to those old ways. I rescued you from that, is what Jesus says to us. I rescued you from it. You don't want to go back there. So be different from society in that way. In the coming passage, next week, we're going to look at the armor of God. Fighting against the spiritual battle that we are in right now. Don't give in to the forces that are bringing you down. And here between those two passages, we have an interesting um, take on the cultural norms of the day. 
I want to begin by pointing out a word that um, that Tom actually got us ready to, to talk about last week, and that is everybody's favorite word, submission. <laughs> Tom gave us the, the translation of the, the famous passage from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 last week. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... Submit to him. We, we like acknowledge because that's something that we can just do with our heads and move on with life. Uh, but I like the translation. In all our ways, submit to him and he will direct paths. We as Americans struggle. <laughs> we struggle with the idea of submission at all. We are autonomous, free-thinking, going to do what I want on my own terms kind of people, right? And if you think about it, when I, when I say the American dream, I imagine what comes to mind for most of us is like the, the house or the particular car or the particular family scenario or, or what have you. But all of those things are couched in this broader movement towards comfort, which allows me the margin to do whatever it is that I want to do, right? That's what it's all actually about we we like to strive after money and wealth and whatnot, but that is more so that that's just a cover for the fact that deep down what we want is just the freedom to do whatever the heck we want at any given moment, and that is what flies right in the face of Paul's call of Jesus' call to a life of submission. Notice that this passage starts, depending on your translation, and your translators sure did make some decisions here uh, in verses 21 and 22. Some like to start this section um, after verse 21. They, they like to sneak, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ into the previous section, and it fits there as well. It's a nice summation of the long like teaching section, the exhortation section that leads up to it in chapter 5. Be careful how you use your time. Remember that how we, how we ended that two, two weeks ago? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It fits there, but it fits just as well, if not better, in the following section. Submit to one another. There's, there are so many little pieces in these verses from 521 to 69 there's so many there's so much stuff here we could spend a week on one line at a time but what i want to do i want to draw out just like three principles from this passage that i think help encapsulate how paul was speaking to the culture of his day trying to rework assumptions about who is valuable and who is not and the role of the Christian in light of that um, new arrangement. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We, we have to, um, we don't like the word submission, and that is, um, that's just part of our, our DNA. We do have to be careful, though, because there, um, 
there are legitimate abuses of power, many, many abuses of power that we need to be aware of. And, and part of our wariness of the whole submission idea is, I don't want to put myself under the authority of one who is going to... Um, who's going to use that authority improperly, use that in a way that um, is going to degrade and um, oppose flourishing, oppose thriving. We, we have so many examples. We could, we could list a litany of examples for, for things that make us a little bit wary, and we should be aware of those things in this passage today tells us like those who are in power have have the responsibility to create thriving for others we have to be aware of those things but just because humanity um ruins a word (laughs) Just because we ruin a concept by our like flawed actions, that's not an out for us to just like give up on a word that the Bible uses in a very like compelling and, and helpful way. We have to do better. We have we have to hold at the same time like the the legitimate abuses of, of power and our ongoing call to this life of what Paul wants to call it, submission. Submit to one another. Count one another better than yourselves, as Paul will say in another place. This is a risky, like putting your life in the hands of another, trusting that they will do what is best for you. And at its core, this is the life that Jesus is calling us to. It's not something that we just conjure up out of, out of nowhere, though. If you remember back to the beginning of chapter 5, uh, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our ability to submit to one another, to sacrifice, to live a life of submission, of sacrifice, just it extends from our following of the example of Jesus. It should come as no big surprise for followers of Jesus to look at the life of Jesus. What is it that he did for us? It was sacrifice. It was give up himself. It should come as no surprise then if we are called to follow that example to think then that our life should be one of sacrifice, of, a, of an upside down sort of way of, of approaching God approaching one another. Paul says, submit to one another, and then he gives some um, ideas as to how this ought to work. I want to give three principles. The first one is this, is that Jesus levels the playing field. The gospel levels the playing field. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Got to be real clear on a couple things this verse does not say. It does not say, wives, um, obey your 
husbands, uh, which in the cultural moment uh, that Paul was writing would have been perfectly fine for Paul to actually use that language. Other philosophers of that time did borrow that language. They did use that language. And Paul knows the word obedience. He uses it just a few verses later when he's talking about kids. He's saying that is not how this relationship works. That, that is not what's going. The verse also does not say women submit to men. That is not what's going on here. There have been some who have used this verse to, to subjugate women in general. And what's, what's wild here is like, at, at the time that this was written, women were considered culturally, like, and from a cultural standpoint, women were considered like inferior. But Paul, by putting instructions to the wives, right next to instructions to the to the husbands, by putting uh, instructions to children right next to instructions to parents, fathers in particular, by putting instructions to slaves and to masters together, he's he's leveling the playing field and calling for all to be engaged in this process. At, at the moment, at this particular moment. The goal of society would have been this sort of like cohesion of uh, of these units, right? Of these like individual like household units, and usually that would have taken place by those with less authority, less power, just acquiescing to those in power and authority. And Paul says no. The basic like reciprocal relationship here, it's not it's not ninety ten. It's not all responsibility on one and all authority on the other. There is deep responsibility for each. Look at verse twenty three. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of of the church. We were already told about this at the end of Ephesians 1. Uh, Paul makes this, uh, Paul actually connects the words submission and headship there together at the end of, of chapter 1. God placed all things under his feet, 122. That's the same word. God submitted all things under the feet of Jesus and appointed him to be head over the over everything for the church. Society at that time would have thought of like the head of the body, the head being like the authority structure over the body that just kind of like went along with whatever the head would have to say. Paul doesn't use the word kephale, which is the Greek word for head. He doesn't really use the word that way in a top-down authority versus subordinate sort of way. Instead, he uses it most frequently as, think of, think of like headwaters of a river, a life-giving, a generative source for the community. That is what the husband is called to be. Not just a barking order head. It, it, like, we could think of like a head of a company, right? And we would think of uh, like a CEO. That is not at all. Do you think that that's what Paul meant when he said that Christ was the head of the church? That Christ is like the CEO, like the one who like runs the business of the church? No. Christ is the sacrificing, love-generating source of life for the church. And in the same way, that is what the husband is called to be for the wife. There's a leveling of the playing field. Here, there's a, there's a leveling of the playing field as, as Paul refers back to the creation account. That which was once two is now one. 
And if we've been paying attention to this point in the letter, we should be ready for this, right? This is what the gospel does. It levels the playing field. It makes possible relationships that could not be possible otherwise. This is what we saw in chapter 2, in chapter 3, in the the melding of the Jew and the Gentile relationship. There is a leveling, a leveling out. You and I can now get along, not because... um, not because of who we are, but because of what Christ has done for us. But because of the cross, because of the sacrificial work of Jesus. Because now I am united to Christ and you are united to Christ, you and I are united to one another. That is the ultimate leveling. You are not what you were. And that is the ultimate leveling. You and I do not carry around, do not have to carry around the old standards that we lived by. We don't have to carry around the weighty titles that we've, the the, the old stories that we've told ourselves. God has leveled that in Christ. Jesus first levels the playing field. Second, Jesus gives dignity to those lacking power. Uh, Commentator Lynn Coick says this, uh, to a slave or a woman in Paul's churches, his charge to act with virtue would have been empowering and affirming of their inherent worth in Christ. Uh, Common to Aristotle's philosophy was that uh, only those of a certain um, moral capability, would only those could actually be commanded to live virtuously. And because in that moment, let me just, let me say in that moment so many times today, because in that moment, uh, both women and children were, were considered inferior at, in, in some regard, still human, but considered inferior because of, of that, they often would have been left out and were left out of household codes from secular writers of, of the time. The, the general assumption was that they would just go along with what was required of them. But Paul says, no, you are able, you are a worthy, dignified human being, and you have something to contribute to this relationship, to this relational ecosystem. So calling forth a calling forth obedience to to Christ in the in the marriage relationship or in the uh, in the child parent relationship calling that forth is actually a measure of Paul giving dignity to every party in this passage Jesus levels the playing field Jesus gives a dignity to those lacking power and we should too by the way And Jesus requires the most from those in power. Jesus levels the playing field, but that doesn't negate the fact that we still maintain roles in society that some see as bearing authority and not bearing authority. What, what the whole leveling is, is that that's not the primary lens through which we view one another now, right? 
The blood of Christ is now the lens. That unifying peace is what is the primary lens for us. But notice that the longest portion of this entire passage is devoted to the husbands. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he says, wives, I will continue to use that word, submission to husbands. That is your way of holding up your end of the bargain. And we could talk about what exactly that looks like. But then he turns to husbands and says, your way of submitting. For Paul to say, husbands submit to your wives, like that language would have been like virtually unthinkable uh, at the time. And so instead of using the word submit, Paul goes, I'm going to take it to the next level and, take, and choose something more difficult, actually. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, go lay down your very self for your wife. Give it all up. Not easier. Harder. More work. More time. But more importantly, the proper heart posture. If we are increasingly having our nose in the text of Scripture, we're reading through the Gospels, and the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. It is going to be pushing us towards a life that sounds like this. Loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul is very clear here. In the other household codes of the day, the instructions to the man were, were sort of, they were flattened out to this very baseline, like, treat those around you with some measure of dignity. And that was, there was very little more, if even that, there was very little more that was, that was required of the men in, in those passages. But Paul ups the ante. Paul says, men, you don't just get to go along with your daily lives, not ever giving thought to this, just tolerating those around you. No, you're, you are meant to give active thought and work to giving up your life for the flourishing of your family unit. That should be the bulk of what you care about. Everything else will fall into place. If you don't have time for other stuff, then you don't have time for other stuff. If the other stuff gets in the way of this, then it needs to go. Let this be the primary pulse of what you care about in this world. 
similar. Father, do not, don't annoy, don't exasperate your children, but give the bulk of your time to figuring out how to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I do find it interesting. Of course, there is mutual responsibility for, for mothers and fathers in the rearing of kids. I do find it interesting that Paul singles out the dads here because there is kind of this assumption that like moms just, they're just better at stuff. <laughs> like, you know, like when he says, don't exasperate your children, I think of Jen's like long fuse of patience and mine that's like, hers is this long and mine is, is here. Dads need the, uh, the reminder here. And then masters, treat your slaves as slavery at this, at this moment. It, it, it's, not, it's not the same uh, as the American institution of slavery. It, however, when, usually when people say that, it's a way of sweeping under the rug the fact that slavery at this time was not a pretty institution. It was not a good thing. It was the basement of... Um, the ivory tower that built the society that, that was otherwise thriving. It was, uh, um, it was often a, a gruesome um, reality for, for all involved. I, I read one commentator who said, like, you have to think of what it does for the slaves, like the, those who are subordinate. You have to think of what it does for them over the course of time to be considered less than. Um, but what we often don't think about is what it does to the hearts of those in power to so regularly think of others as less than. If pride is the ultimate vice, which many spiritual thinkers and theologians have, have argued since this Time. If pride is the ultimate vice, then the sor sort of um, bigotry that is associated with, like, I am above and you are less than, that does something to a heart over time, and it is no good. It is dangerous. It is scary. And so it's significant that Paul turns to masters here. Paul was not in a place to undo the entire um, institution of slavery uh, on his own. However, I think it's pretty clear that Paul does not uh, tacitly condone it and is very eager that Christians who are engaged in the practice radically rethink the way that they approach it. So he says, masters, Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their masters and, and their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Talk about the ultimate trump card to an argument. Paul says, Masters, you serve the same God as your as those who are enslaved to you, those who are your property. If you think for one moment that God cares for you more than them, and maybe you wouldn't say that out loud, but you might say it with your action and with your tone and with your thoughts. If you think for one moment that God is more on your side because of your privileged position or whatnot, you have got it wrong. 
you have got it wrong. Jesus always requires the most from those with power. He requires that those in power create conditions for thriving. Why? Because they have the, um, the means to do it. And often don't because it's way easier not to. Uh, it's a lot easier to just maintain the status quo, which, it, again, when all the household codes were written at the time, the idea was maintain the status quo, don't upset the apple cart, as long as those who are submitting and those who are in authority kind of get along, and there's a, a, a basic, like, mutual understanding of, of the setup, that, that there's those who are in power and those who kind of just get along with it. As long as we just like get along. That's, that was the idea of the time. And Paul says, those who are in power have to spend their lives figuring out how are they going to use that power to bless, to dignify, to cause to flourish those around them. Jesus levels the playing field. He gives dignity to those lacking power. He requires the most from those in power. So I want us to just to ask a couple questions. The worst thing we could possibly do is get to the end of this passage. And here's what happens so often. Is that with this passage in particular, we, we read through it and we, we find something that applies to somebody else. <laughs> Right? Yeah, every passage, really. Yeah, like, oh, man, (laughs) Uncle Frank needs to read this. Oh, gosh. Yeah. My neighbor down the street needs that. Yeah. No, we do. We, We need it. Right? Bigger picture. How is the radical, sacrificial life of Jesus marking who we are. Can, you, can, we, can we draw a line from who Jesus is to the actions that we take, to the thoughts that we have towards others, towards our general disposition towards others, towards life in general? Can we draw that line? Or are we just doing our own thing over here and just kind of tacking on Jesus, singing a song every now and then? It's his life that is supposed to animate our imagination for how we live ours. We cannot possibly say that enough. So two questions for how we could get this passage to our life. First, how am I actively bettering the lives of those in my immediate context? This reminds us that, I mean, this passage is obviously not exhaustive. This is not about everybody in the community. Not everybody is a wife or a husband. Like, that's... But the general principle of... How can I better the life of those in my immediate context? That, that, applies to, that applies to every single one of us. And when it comes to the idea of wives submitting to husbands and husbands giving up sacrificial love for their wives, I, I think this could be a helpful way of, of starting to address that question. How am I actively bettering the life of another? And the corollary Right? The, the adjacent question, how is my selfishness prohibiting me from doing so? What's the extra stuff that's getting in the way? 
I don't have any examples from my life, but I imagine you might from yours. So <laughs> just thought, just in full transparency. Uh, I, I'm leaving and going to Eastern Oregon like directly after this service. Uh, Mason and I are going on a little trip, and so that was uh, not originally by design, but you know, I thought it would, I thought it would work out. So yeah, if you want to find me, you won't be able to. <clears throat> Second question, where can I use my privilege and authority to better serve and dignify others? And if you don't think that you have privilege and authority, that just means you're not looking hard enough. Um, you're not thinking soberly enough about it. Uh, pay more attention, is what I would say. Where's the context where you've got privilege? Where's the context where you've got a chance to do some real, real good for those around you. And this doesn't have to be a wholesale, like, going to change Eugene. But this is how Eugene changes um, when you and I do this well. This is how we, we, as Christians, we sit back and do a whole lot of complaining about how things are in the world and culture. And, and then we turn around and do this so, so poorly. Expecting stuff out there to change without stuff changing in here first? It's, it's silly. But we can. We can do it. Like at, at every turn in Ephesians, Paul is asking us to do something which Christ is already empowering us to do. So think carefully. Where can I use it? Where can I leverage who I am and what I have for the good of others? That is the ultimate question of what it is to be a Christian in society today. Um, we're going to have the band come up and um, God, we're going to sing I Surrender All. And boy, is this a passage where we like to surrender some. Right. <laughs> Tom mentioned it earlier. The idea of surrender, it, yeah, it's a nice. It's a good song. Man, I love singing that, that old hymn. It is, it is wonderful. But man, when I think about like I surrender all. Like, those questions start to get to me a little bit. So we're going to sing. Uh, we're going to have our prayer team up here. If you have something just in your heart, something bugging you, uh, that's, uh, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's a good thing. We, we, like, we like it when the Holy Spirit bugs us. Uh, and so we're going to have a prayer team over here just to, um, to chat with you and to pray for you. Um, these Sunday morning times, they aren't just like uh, a drop in the bucket so that we can get on with our lives. They're actually, I, I truly believe the church meets and God shows up and he changes us. And uh, gosh, it's good to be changed together. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray and we'll sing. Lord, uh, we surrender some, a lot. Um, and we settle for that. Um, make us uncomfy. Lord, make us uncomfy in our privilege. Uh, open our eyes to the ways that we uh, can live lives like Jesus. Live lives of sacrificial love. Love that would not make sense to uh, the general onlooker. That's, that's the stuff you're calling us to. So just give us eyes to see it. Rework our imaginations. Bust us out of our selfishness and the way that it, it just 
messes with everything that we think about, every way that we think about who we are and who others are. Just, just mess with us, Lord. Mess with us into, into obedience, Lord. Thank you for your amazing, redeeming, saving love that, that undoes who we were doesn't, doesn't make us as bad people good people, makes, but makes us from dead to life. May we go share that life with others in Jesus' name.